Hey, and welcome to episode 42 of the Thodcast, Conversations About Animation. This is your host, Philip Elke, coming to you from Hollywood. And today I'm joined in the studio by my friend Kara Deptula. Hey, Kara, how are you today? Hello, I'm great. Oh, good. Yeah, you sounded really good right there. Oh, was um, that just rehearsal? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> We're in the episode. We got to get this uh, in the can so that uh, we can have it up by Halloween. Uh, not that it's specifically necessarily a Halloween-themed episode, but it has a lot to do with uh, spirits and spooks and... Um, I, yeah, it's, it's, and monsters. Uh, monsters. It has it all, really. It's it's really the ultimate sort of ethereal venture into the spirit realm. And uh, that is, of course, it's right in the title, Spirited Away by director Hayao Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli in Japan. Um, a full feature length, in fact, a quite long feature length animated film uh, done in sort of the Japanese anime style. Uh, yes. yes, two hours and 15 minutes. Two hours and five minutes, 125 oh. minutes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So close. Uh, but yeah, it's the longest ever animated film to win Best Animated Feature at the Oscars. And I believe it was the second film to win that award as well. Uh 2001, I believe, was the first year, or the uh, the Oscars celebrating uh, the year 2001, which would have been held in, in 2002, I think. It went to Shrek that year, um, and then the following year, uh, Spirit Away was released in Japan in 2001, and then released in the U.S. Uh, in 2002. Um, it was the highest-grossing film in Japan uh, as of its release, and I yeah I think it has maybe yet to be surpassed. Um, the highest-grossing films in Japan are it's still number one, Spirited Away, amazingly, with uh, thirty point eight billion yen. Um, approx- I think that's somewhere in the neighborhood of two hundred. $250 million, uh, upward $275 million in Japan. A crazy amount. I think the total worldwide gross spirit away came to just north of $300 million. It made like $12 million in the U.S. Uh, just some ancillary details here. It, it um, bumped Titanic from the top spot in Japan. Wow. And yeah, the number three spot is actually Frozen. All uh, right, Philip. <laughs> yeah, Go Frozen, uh, number four in Japan is Your Name. Number five is Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Interesting. Yes. Oh, and number, okay, we've got some Let's more. Let's do a whole Harry Potter series. <laughs> we could, yeah. Howl's Moving Castle, another Studio Ghibli film, is number six. And then Princess Mononoke at number seven. Um, yeah, Howl's Moving Castle. It was the follow-up to Spirited Away in 2004, Princess Mononoke, the predecessor, in 1997. So they only come out with a film once every several years, at least, that had been the pattern. Well, there was a lot to this film, a lot of elements. It was not a simple film, and it was not for young children. 
No, it was, uh, yeah, it's a very sophisticated film and definitely resonated with an audience well beyond just kids. Um, but it is also an animated film um, based around a child main character and uh, designed to be appreciated by uh, kids and people, you know, children who have especially vivid imaginations and kind of get taken into a dreamlike uh, story, especially readily. And this, this story is very dreamlike and uh, ethereal um, and, uh, and spooky at times even. <laughs> what did you think of all that, Kara? I don't know. You know, maybe she didn't like her parents and that is why she, in her dreams, turned them into pigs. Because they were moving her away, right? To a different place. Yeah, I I suppose she... It's not that uncommon for kids to have a somewhat strange relationship with their parents at times. Going through an ordeal like moving away from one's hometown or one's school that they had grown accustomed to... Uh, I mean, that can be pretty traumatic for a child. I never had to experience that, and I certainly was conscious of the fact that, like, if I had to do that when I was younger, it would not have been easy for me. (laughs) Right, so if you go back to the film where um, the parents are eating, and to that symbolizes that she would think that they are very selfish in eating all of the food, and she was, uh, I think she was telling them how to behave and what to do and what not to do. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, she perceived her parents as selfish. Um, and, I mean, it's not uh, presented in the film that the things that are happening to her are something that she's imagining or dreaming. Um, the... Um, inciting events of the film are all played pretty straight where she and her parents end up kind of exploring this area close to their new home and it's like this park uh they think it's a parkland and they go through this gate into you know uh what they assume to be an abandoned theme park it's like a clock tower entrance to a theme park like you would find anywhere here in the united states but yeah, it's you know this abandoned uh, park where there's a lot of like rundown shops and stuff, and um, they assume you know it's something that was built back in kind of the boomtown uh, era of the late '80s, early '90s in Japan before their economy be- uh, took a downturn, uh, and a lot of these amusement parks ended up shuttering. Um, and yeah, it wouldn't have been a very uncommon sight in Japan in, in the uh, early 2000s you know, to see an abandoned theme park. Um, the parents are like insistent upon exploring it. And Chihiro, the, the main heroine, she is not nearly as interested in going along with the plan, perhaps out of sort of resentment of her parents. Right. But that may actually be symbolism because what parents on the way to moving somewhere would actually want to 
stop and explore the area before going into the house, moving things into the house. I'm just wondering if that's symbolism for everything actually going on. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it seemed like a natural thing for a parent, you know, for parents to do like, hey, kid, hey, uh, you know, daughter, let's go exploring. Uh, Not for mine. They'd be like, nope, we can explore later. We are going to move into the house first and get settled and then we can figure out what's in the area. Okay. well, you had hippie parents and you just yeah. don't know that you did. <laughs> it, it was certainly we certainly had adventures like that when I was younger going off and exploring sort of unknown places and sort of deserted areas. Um, it, I mean, that would have been super fun. Uh, most theme parks, after they've been closed, have you know security measures to keep people from prowling. How but, do you know this? Just kidding. I mean, I watch videos on YouTube of people exploring abandoned theme wow. parks. And uh, it's a fun time. Um, it's fun to learn about how these things get may you know how how they are created and then ultimately abandoned are there any abandoned theme parks in the united states oh lots where um well kind of dotted around the country um i don't know if i can think of any nearby in southern california Mm. um i mean there's there's like a abandoned mini golf course in like long beach that i've driven past um oh all uh, right mini golf <laughs> <laughs> let's get in trouble in the mini golf please <laughs> but there's there's plenty in florida a lot of them get torn down um huh. yeah i've seen pictures in photo galleries there's a island in walt disney world um that is overgrown it used to be wow. available to guests um fa- fantasy island i want to say is what it was called um yeah it's uh, so just kind of getting into the wow so they closed down fantasy island at disneyland or disney world disneyland. uh w- yeah world mm-hmm. and they just don't use that anymore no 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 it's uh completely uh closed to guests and they they had like a like a freshwater theme park at one point that got hmm. closed and i think that's all gotten torn down as far as i know but that area i think is mostly closed off to guests as well um, wow that's really interesting you would think they would find a way to use that space that land yeah i mean it's hard to have like a freshwater water park when it's uh you're more likely to have guests contract diseases and stuff and i think that's what happened i think there was lots of diseases like happened a, a just rampant who, everywhere yeah, <laughs> got an infection and maybe died uh, great yeah the plague <laughs> people falling off everywhere sorry mm-hmm. <laughs> no it's just a crazy amount of symbolism from the start it, it does kind of you know spirit away it has somewhat of an unassuming beginning where you know it's just you know a mundane um event with these parents and their kid uh driving through the kind of the countryside and um you know what could be more ordinary than a family riding riding in a car together um 
and then things well, sort they, of... Well, they, all the scene, all the scenes are painted in, in pastels, mostly, um, mm-hmm. the forest. And then there's that spirited animal that guards the tunnel, the little green thing. It Yeah, it really stands out because there's that uh, statue... There, we see two of these statues that have faces on either side, you know, on both sides um, of the head, and uh, there, the first one we see is rendered in computer animation. It's like the first CGI shot that we see in the film. It's designed to stand out, and it's kind of a harbinger of the uh, craziness to come. But um, ultimately, we transition to realizing that something's a little off once uh, we discover that one of the shops at the abandoned theme park uh, is serving up uh, enormous plates of hot prepared food. And not kosher. They bring that up many times. <laughs> not So uh, it's it's visibly... What? Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. The they use pigs in preparation of these meals. A spoiler alert. Um, yeah, we'll we'll be going into some spoilers on Spirited Away in this conversation. Um, the Thodcast conversations about animation, where uh, yeah, I, I uh, this is one of the greatest films ever made. I would say so. It's worth bringing up on this show. I know, Kara. I think I thought you would appreciate it. Being that it is such a an abstract film dealing with sort of a full blown uh, or a headlong plunge into the spirit realm, um, did did you? Oh well, yeah. I have a bit of an infatuation with Japan, and um, I've also explored not bathhouses here in Los Angeles, but um, spas. So big uh, co-ed spas with hot tubs and saunas. And it's a very, very, very popular thing in Japan and only a little bit popular in the United States. So after exploring those, um, I had a, a grasp that probably is different than most people if they've not been to um, a spa or bathhouse. Well, this bathhouse depicted in Spirited Away uh, provides the main setting. Um, you know, the, you have the, the parents getting seduced by the food that's getting prepared for this uh, bathhouse and the guests that frequent the bathhouse. And um, and it, with it, with the food not being worth it, the sacrifice because they then turned into pigs. <laughs> Yeah. Same, the same symbolism with no face. It wasn't worth it. They had no face in the spa facility because it wasn't worth it, worth the amount of money for the damage that no face did to the spa. No, yeah, even with the gold that no face produced that turned out to just be dirt. <laughs> Even with uh, what they thought they had gained from the character, they, uh, you know, realized it wouldn't have been worth the the loss that they incurred. But yeah, that's uh, kind of jumping to one of the main themes of the 
film you know having to do with greed greed gluttony yeah human failings or human faults versus spirits which uh the spirits seem to have the same exact hedonistic tendencies as humans do right people pleasing brown nosing uh ever a lot for some sort of gain there's often speculation that humans worst tendencies are the result of you know some kind of spiritual um malformity maybe some kind of underlying spiritual reason why humans behave in certain ways and and are especially like vulnerable to temptation because they do have some kind of um force that's compelling them to act in ways that are against their ultimate uh, interests. Right. So that's a whole other topic of which I have studied where um, people can be under under the influence of dark forces, Mm -hmm. causing them to act certain ways because dark forces know where to hit humans where they are most vulnerable, thus bringing out the worst sides of humans or of what they don't like about themselves or other people, or it just brings out... The dark forces will will they know where to hit you where it hurts? Because hmm. yeah, the spirits here they're shown to be, you know, smoking, drinking, eating extravagant, dec- decadent foods. Um, there's uh, yeah, they just need to be cleansed due to impurities and impurities that are in many cases brought upon them by humanity as well. It's uh, it's almost as if these spirits interacting in the world has made them uh, stressed or blemished, and they need to go- come to this bathhouse to uh, relieve themselves of kind of all the worldly uh, trappings that they've endured. But they're right. you know they're unwinding by in- indulging in <laughs> in all these. Uh, seemingly worldly pleasures. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting transaction. Right, the monster releases a lot of objects out of his. Yeah, body. you have you have kind of these. I would say three main set pieces in the film where, um, the, there's that the stink monster, the stink spirit, um, and then you have the no face spirit. Um, and then it, you have um, the the twin um, who infects ya- um, Haku, right? Right. Or, I think I was thinking of the stink spirit that releases all the objects. Yeah, that's the first major set piece of the film. But I felt there was something about that that, that it was about not discriminating. Because they did not want to let the stink face in. No, it, it was not their usual clientele, shall we say. And he, yeah, he was just so dirty and stinky that the most of the um, employees of the bathhouse, these, you know, odd sort of fraud-like denizens of the spirit realm, as well as, you know, other characters who who uh, work for the 
bathhouse like they they all wanted the stink creature to go away but um it eventually works out because this creature did have uh, a fairly wealthy supply of gold with which to compensate the bathhouse the next main conflict of the film you know doesn't go quite as well with the no-faced monster not <laughs> not ultimately compensating the bathhouse for the inconvenience that it causes right mm-hmm. it pretty much robbed them of all food and everything too <laughs> yeah i mean it ate some of the employees three at uh, least right yeah who got spat up and survived ultimately, but you know they uh, spirits didn't know it. It seems that like these spirits can experience some form of death, and <laughs> they can bleed. Yeah, I guess Haku. Um, gets, and you know, well, and then No Face. Uh, they said, "Oh, this is Eno Face." So mm-hmm. No Faces were a type of spirit versus. This it wasn't just one creature named No Face. Apparently, apparently there were a lot of No Faces. Yeah, I guess so. Whereas it seemed like there was only, I mean, yeah, it's an it's an odd spirit. It's like the No Face is this sort of black hole type of spirit that just voraciously consumes and doesn't um, really offer much in return. Um, it's yeah, an especially like demonic force, I guess. But in the end, uh, the character becomes sympathetic, I guess, because it develops a friendship with the human uh, Ichiro, uh, Chihiro, uh, or Sen, as she is renamed by her captor Yubaba, who runs the bathhouse. Uh, the only reason she's able to um, go on in the film unspoiled is uh <laughs> and not get turned into a pig is because yubaba must contractually offer anyone who asks for a job a job at the bathhouse and uh that means Ichiro, uh, chihiro you know she is safe as long as she fulfills her duties adequately and so she's you know placed under the care of lynn uh, one of the spa, uh, what do you call people who work at a spa? Uh, well, I'm almost wondering if Shen, Shen what's her name, Chiniro? I'm Chiniro. wondering if she's really, uh, you know, a healer type. Because the healer is able, she as a healer is able to, she's able to calm down, the, you know, the no face, which seems nearly impossible after all the damage that the no face caused yeah i mean she seems to be able to overcome any obstacle that comes her way i mean she's she's obviously a mary sue (laughs) well she's the hero of the film no yeah she's no that's uh it would be a very unfair accusation to refer to her as a, a mary sue i mean she surprisingly confident in overcoming some of these crazy struggles and you find uh, sort of ascending her way to the top of the ranks of the bathhouse by solving the problem with the the stink monster figuring out that he's the way he is because he's been polluted by human you know rubbish 
you know, she pulls the thorn out of his side, aka the bicycle, uh, with the right. help of the other residents of the the bathhouse. But also, uh, you know, she was the one to. Well, I mean, it's interesting because they really didn't want to hire her. She didn't want they, she, that woman did not want to hire her. And then yeah. in the middle of the film, she she literally was saying, "You're the only one that can do this. Please help us." <laughs> The humans uh, who stink. The, everyone's commenting on how she smells like a human. Um, and in fact, in the Japanese subtitled version, um, the the foreman, I believe it is, or I don't, maybe not the foreman, but one of the workers um, is commenting as Lin and Shihiro are about to enter the elevator with that radish spirit. Oh yeah, and, that uh, one's funny. <laughs> And um, this, I don't even know where they come up. With, I mean, radishes are very popular. In she Japan. shows him the nude. Yeah, yeah. They're... I mean, they are the um, what are, the daikon radish. That's what that was. I okay. Think. A daikon radish is is white. It's very popular in Japan. The daikon the daikon radish. Here comes my food and nutrition knowledge. Um, the di- the daikon radish is used to help people detoxify. Huh. Crazy. Yes. It's very good for you. So everybody, go out and buy some daikon radishes. D a i k o n. No wonder it was such a prominent spirit in the film. Right. But, uh, yeah, the apparently humans smelled like these fried newts that are a delicacy in the spirited away land, uh, and in the Japanese subtitled version, like that worker comments on how delicious the human smells so uh, (laughs) i guess though to enhance the flavor of the human uh they they would turn catch them turn them into a pig (laughs) i think is the idea because i mean that seems to be what the uh trajectory would be were chihiro to uh fail in her mission and not, you know, ultimately rescue her parents or, you know, fulfill her duties. She'd be turned into a pig um, and served up right. to the spirits in, a, in morbid fashion. You always get us lost. From master filmmaker Hayao Miyazaki. What is it? Come on, let's go in. I want to see what's on the other side. Be here. Get out of here now. What? Leave before it gets dark. You've got to get across the river. Go. I'll distract them. bizarre these events it's a chain of events that just sort of flow from one thing to the next sort of like a a dream and Shihiro sort of manages to navigate these fairly uh readily handle it you know she is growing and learning and evolving uh as the story progresses and it's it's fun and then everything morphs into everything else there's a lot of morphing from they said that if this had not been animated, it would have cost a lot of money because of the way every, every character morphed into another character and then into another character and 
it was almost hard to keep track of what was turning into what and what who everyone really was well yeah i mean you would have needed to i guess render all these characters using cgi or crazy makeup effects to make it remotely similar to the way it looks on in this uh, 2d animated form right and i was i really the only one that was like freaked out by the big baby (laughs) that big baby that big baby was weird (laughs) i guess it i mean it was almost like a sumo wrestler you know (laughs) yeah what wasn't the most unsettling images or image of the film i don't think the baby bow um but yeah it's it's uh disconcerting to to see a baby that's this large and and the even uh yubaba and and her twin sister uh zanir uh how do you say it zaniba they were great creepy little witches i thought <laughs> they with were all super the little creepy. crystals and stones and they they look like the quintessential creepy witch in a film i thought they did a great job with the design of the creepy big-headed witches <laughs> yeah very fun uh just must have been such a challenge to animate that all the wrinkles and lines in her face and this massive moving face uh, it, it uh it's, it's just very it sticks out just so incredibly well uh, so so many of the things the objects on screen in this film just really stick in your mind it's it's very iconoclastic in that way do you want to talk about the guy with the coal at the bottom of the bathhouse oh yeah um and all the coal and the i don't know kamaji the old um boiler room man (laughs) Yeah. Um, I just wonder what his, any thoughts on his, I mean, he was running everything, essentially. He probably had all the secrets of the bathhouse. Yeah, he was a machine. I, I mean, it's just so odd how these various workers came into their positions. Um, why, why do spirits have to have jobs and work for money? and uh, why do they smoke why do they drink eat all that yeah they have sake so alcohol is uh explicitly mentioned in oh yeah the film. it is um and yeah i, I don't know what do it's, they uh... say about sake do you remember specifically well sake is on the house tonight for everyone after all right they cleanse the river spirit you know the the stink spirit then turns into that like dragon ma- the masked dragon creature similar to haku uh, in design at least the dragon body so, so that's also a cool image the flying dragon as it's twisting through the air um hmm. just just very yeah that one morphed a lot into a lo- it, it it changed mm-hmm. its appearance very very much very evocative yeah the even like the design of the mask on no face um it's meant to resemble uh caterpillar that's important to like a certain 
Is it was it a silkworm in Japan? Right. Um, well, and, then and, yeah. the trains were very interesting. I mean, they were trains in the water. Yeah, yeah. They they use trains in the spirit world, and yeah, everything. I mean, is that like, real? Do they have trains that function like underwater in Japan? <laughs> Um, well, it's, it's not exactly underwater, but part of the track is underwater. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, um, and then just how, uh, no face gets on the train with her and then they make friends. That, that was just so, uh, Mm -hmm. kind of unbelievable. She was just really able to tame him in a way, but she was able to do that after she found her own strength, right? So there's this whole thing in the world about reflections that if you're really strong and you know who you're all, you are and you're really rooted to who you are, then you're able to change your external world around you where you then have sort of, if you have your own internal power, then you you shape around you to then people around you to respect you mm-hmm. and to just for your environment to be a little more calm and chill. Yeah, yeah, I guess um Shihiro's resilience and her integrity are I think what allow the no face spirit to be kept at bay um and not just want to consume everything around it. She she shows genuine compassion. Right. And uh yeah, and and honesty, vulnerability. Well, she's also the only one that isn't trying to, if you think about it, all the other spirits were trying to, what can we do for you? How can we help you? What can what can we do? We need this. Give us your money. She's really the only one that didn't do that. She never acts out of greed. Yeah, that's certainly um, explicitly portrayed that she refuses gold from, the, from no face and... Uh, refuses the food when her parents indulge um yeah she she comments uh multiple times on like how she doesn't really want anything in exchange just she she just wants uh wants a job so that she can survive in the spirit world and uh wants to free her parents and yeah, thankfully she, you know, befriends Haku, and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, the, he he is like the third spirit that she is able to tame in the film. In, His in a role sense was that, not very interesting for me. Yeah, you didn't think so? No. Hmm. They, yeah, I don't know why that is. I just yeah. was not attracted to whatever was going on there. And they use romantic terminology when referring to their relationship. You know, some of the characters uh, like um, Kamaji and Zaniba, uh, you know, use the L word, love. When uh, true, but this girl you know. was ten, so part of that <laughs> didn't make sense. Well, it wasn't necessarily <laughs> romantic, physical love. It was. It was just. Um, more of a no, platonic. you know, they just didn't develop that enough. There wasn't enough development there. It was like this story with this guy Haku sort of came out of nowhere. There wasn't there wasn't enough development to actually well, care about what was going on. He was the first 
person she met in the in the spirit world. Right. It's just uh, he showed kindness to her. Hmm. But he was ultimately under the thumb of Yubaba, so he couldn't. Uh, right, uh, controlled yeah. by the slug. Mm-hmm. Well, by the witch. Yeah, well, the slug that was controlled by the witch, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. There well, was the witch put a slug in. That's in. right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna do that to the someone I don't like. Maybe right. I'm just gonna get a slug. <laughs> and then he got attacked because he. <laughs> I'm gonna go to the store and buy yeah. a bunch of slugs tonight. When I go to the store, sorry. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go shopping for slugs. I'm totally playing around, by the way. Do you I'm remember nice this? Person. Well, yeah. I've, have you ever had escargot? <laughs> uh, I, I escargot is slugs or slugs? well, it's snail. Oh yeah, I'm Mollusk. sure. Um, not recently, and I don't care to. Mm-hmm. You're the one that likes squishy things at the sushi place. I yeah, not I, me. I get <laughs> exotic food sometimes. I like tuna. Um, yeah, I've, I've never had it personally. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Philip's like, give me the octopus, I would the try snail, it. the squishiest. What's the squishiest thing that you have? I um, want to eat that. Yeah, sometimes oysters, you know. Um, I think I'm allergic to them. That seal. Do you remember the significance of that? Um, what Yubaba oh, was planning to do with Zaniba's seal. That was the th- one of the things that came out of... Haku when Chihiro was trying to heal him. No, I can't remember. There was something about squishing the seal, the the seal, and that it wasn't good. Yeah, that was like the thing that Haku had stolen from Zaniba, and so he was being attacked. Um, I, I'm trying to remember what that the power inherent in that seal was you know what it uh, was designed to do probably just some kind of generic magic properties um otherwise i can't remember specifically no i'm not gonna remember that because i was trying to remember <laughs> that when they mentioned it and i can't remember yeah the uh, well the witch there's aniba she's like a uh what do you call that a weaver Thing, or she she makes textiles she spins uh different materials into thread she makes that band that uh shows up in she or that Chihiro puts in her hair right um and that uh, protects her it just she says it protects her from magic or something that allows her to um yeah. But at the end of the film, she has the band in her hair, right? Which would mean that all of this was not a dream. Yeah, it's something that takes her, that she takes with into the human world. It's it's sort of like I don't know the bells from the Polar Express, oh. for example. She she has that token as sort of a memento of her adventures in the spirit world. Uh, it's said by. Miyazaki himself that she doesn't necessarily remember her adventures in the spirit world once she leaves I mean the parents certainly don't remember but um, uh, Chihiro's 
memories become super vague once she exits the gate. Uh, though that doesn't mean that she won't remember anything of her adventures. It just sort of becomes fuzzy, much like a dream does when you wake up and don't necessarily remember, even though it was so vivid just a moment before you wake up and realize that there is a lot of detail that just evacuates. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, uh, she and Haku promise that they'll meet each other again one day. It's kind of a touching moment. Uh, who knows how exactly that'll happen. Haku, well, yeah. I mean, in past lives, present lives, future <laughs> lives, yeah, uh, everything anything. can run sort of parallel and it depends on what you believe. But um, we tend to have soul family that we meet them again often in another life or have been with them in previous lives. And soul families t- tend to stick together to um, teach each other whatever lessons they need to grow in this life and then the next life. So your dad could be uh, your baby in your next life or your sister could be your wife. Hmm. Yeah, things seem to be connected through feelings and um, emotion, like certain attachments that we have to other beings that hold significance to our lives. And that, that tends to like be the glue that hold souls together um and and yeah makes it so that it's you know everything that happens in our lives is more than just kind of random coincidence or random happenstance um it's uh right i mean yeah. if you have there's uh, like an if you're very spiritual most things <clears throat> uh happen in divine timing um, of course, there's free will, but the bigger things in life that happen to you are often a part of soul contracts, uh, and the timing is often often divine. Yeah, fate, I guess, plays a role in people's lives if you kind of view things from a different perspective, from like a higher level that humans don't necessarily have access to. But based on free will, we could gear ourselves away from whatever we are destined to have yeah yeah so we could really our potential if Mm -hmm. we choose yeah yeah i think uh this film makes it clear that chihiro had the opportunity to to blow it multiple times but she did you know plant her feet in the right and she uh she fulfilled her responsibilities and uh, yeah, so it's a great parable for a person embracing difficulty and challenges in life. Uh, something as ordinary as having to move to a new town, um, but all, you know, nonetheless frightening, um, or something as you know incredible as facing off against these monstrous spirits in a, <laughs> in some fantastic vision or some crazy experience that you know a person might have when they're young where they uh, get transported or spirited away to this alternate dimension alternate reality um yeah it, it sort of plays like you would read from some sort of esoteric memoir <laughs> of someone recounting um memory they had as a child of like 
being taken away by these spirits and forced into servitude and having to face these challenges, sort of these um, Herculean challenges, if you will, uh, kind of in, in the traditional Greek uh, poetic sense. Well, they say that the younger the children are, they're more likely to see things mm-hmm. and spirits. And then as their minds conform to society and what they are told they need to see and believe, then that sort of can go away. Yeah, I think there's certainly lots of people who would uh, you know, attest to having similar experiences to uh, Chihiro in, in their lives and yeah, most of these accounts would just be kind of dismissed as fantasy, you know, as, as uh, fabrication and whatnot. I mean, or or just dream-like experiences that a person has that they're sort of uh, confabulating with reality. Well, <laughs> people are more likely to get attacked um, by uh, spirits. Uh, while they're sleeping and they are not aware of what could be happening to them. Yeah, exactly. I've, I mean, uh, the imagination is an incredible tool and it can be manifested in any number of ways, really, within a person's life and within their own personal reality. I mean, I just went on a retreat... Uh, a woman's empowerment and leadership retreat. And the uh, woman I was with said that her husband had recently died. And she said, you know, he sends me messages. And um, she Hmm. felt for a while that there was, he was a ghost pretty much uh, Mm -hmm. sending, leaving notes. Mm -hmm. And she was telling me all about this. And then um, eventually she did some things so that he would leave. And you just sort of, there are some things that you do with ghosts. If they're bad, you send them down and if they're good you send them up sometimes they have unfinished uh another woman was telling me that she thinks that her friend is a ghost and is still here on earth trying to um figure some things out with his uh with his kids and that he still has to stay here Hmm. um this just happens this this (laughs) weekend people telling me about the ghosts in their lives he's so (laughs) Well, uh, we'll see. We'll probably not get any more updates on what happens in Chihiro's life following the events of Spirited Away, because I don't. There has not yet been a Studio Ghibli sequel, and uh, if, if they did make a sequel to any one of their films, it would make sense to do Spirited Away too because this was their most successful film. But, um, yeah, well, uh, the the creator, Hayao Miyazaki, and, and director, he um, he's very um, protective of his work. He uh, is very skeptical regarding licensing for merchandise and, you know, consumer products. You know, he feels that, you know, making a whole bunch of money on toys, you know, would cheapen his work and his process and, you know, give that that would introduce a whole kind of capitalistic, materialistic angle to their operation as a company that could then jeopardize the artistic integrity of their films. Uh, (laughs) I guess from a certain point of view, that's, you know, it doesn't just because you 
make toys based on your film doesn't mean that you can't make good film um it but it also can make it easy to get lazy and think that oh we'll just design a bunch of iconic looking characters and sell a bunch of toys and make money that way and we don't really have to worry quite as much about delivering a solid narrative that audiences of all types will enjoy um, this, this very very fascinating film that is unlike most things that you see coming from an american perspective um i, I think there are some ex exceptions uh, like kara have you seen coco oh um, i think i saw parts of it that's a not movie. enough to know yeah i was uh, considering reviewing it on the show uh we had some scheduling issues so unfortunately yeah we we didn't have an episode last week um maybe we'll get to it though in the near future uh, also involves a young kid around the age that chihiro is in a spirited way finding himself lost in the spirit dimension and having to uh overcome a few obstacles that allow him to uh make his way back um yeah it's well, I imagine that watching this in Japan, you would have a totally different as a as a Japanese person living in in Japan, you would have a different take on it than an American because some of the, the things, I think they use little treats in there, like those little stars. That's a Japanese treat, and then um, the mochi things, the big uh, the references for Americans are, are we probably miss some of it because we. We don't know the Jap Japanese culture as well. No, the plenty of Easter eggs in this film that are especially relevant to a Japanese audience. Some, though, to Western audiences as well. Um, they they were very meticulous about their rendering of the Audi uh, sedan right. <laughs> that Jiro's parents drive. Um, it like they based the animation of the car on like actual test footage of of that vehicle <laughs> right i wonder if uh, audi was a sponsor i th yeah they must have had some kind of promotion in making this film it was, it was very the you know the emblem was very prominent in the screen and yeah like even down to the way the anti-lock braking system worked when he's you know slamming on the brakes as they're approaching the wall in the beginning um you know, is, is one detail that, you know, made it into the film. I, I think Miyazaki himself has a fascination with machines, machinery, uh, vehicles, planes, things like that. Those often show up in his films in sort of a, you know, a reverent sort of way. Um, as much as he is, like, very pro-nature, pro-environment, he's also very mechanically-minded uh, which makes sense because as someone who entered into the field of animation, um, it's common to also have a fascination with objects that seem to come to life in one way or another. That's why like Walt Disney himself uh, had a fascination with trains. It was like this inanimate object 
uh, coming to life in the form of the steam engine, it, you know, an object man-made that seemed to live and breathe in its own way, um, so that you'll find that characteristic among a lot of people who themselves love animation. But yeah, um, any other thoughts? Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have a lot of thoughts. We could talk about a lot of things. About this movie, I don't have anything else to add. <laughs> well, you, so so you do? You have a lot? I mean, we No, can, in general, yeah. I have a lot of life thoughts. Oh. We could talk about uh, a lot of other things. Uh, do you, I mean, we could talk about other things about this film. I can't think of anything more that we well, had to add. I mean, yeah. the baby, the candy, they're eating the bobbling heads of the <laughs> green-headed dudes. There's, there was a lot to sort of pick apart. Yeah, it's things exploding. It seems to symbolize no faces throwing up. It's, is it an esophagus? Is it a stomach? Yeah, you know what I mean, like this film was a little weird. It, it kind of covers all manner of spiritual experiences that a person can have. You know, like even spiritual rebirth or uh, enlightenment, down to things like de degradation, decay, yeah, falling into the abyss. Um, I, that was, I think, one of the themes stated in one source that I saw that, like, this movie, one of its ultimate themes is the the loss and deterioration of things that are unseen and, and sort of uncared for. I wonder what was going on with... She always had to sort of pass a test um, of all these tests that she had to take of whether she could choose to pick out the parents, uh, which pigs they were. And she was always having to pass some sort of a test to get to the next part of the maze. It mm. wasn't a maze, but kind of like a maze, like getting through the next door to get to the next door yeah, to, yeah, to get out. Very, you know, Theseus and the Minotaur sort of struggle that she had to overcome. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to nail down too many specific allegories um, because there's just so much here. Um, you can kind of read, really read anything into it. It's it's very accessible to kind of project your own. I mean, is it about yeah. life and how we're tested? And if we fail the first test, then we're tested again with that same sort of thing, but in a bigger way. And then if we haven't grown, then we are then thrown <laughs> that same sort of thing again, but even bigger until we actually like get the lesson, and move I wonder, past it. Yeah, I wonder if it would have been like possible necessarily for Jiro to fail. Sort of like having a dream. It's like, it's hard to really fail at anything when it's your dream, your your vision. You know, you're sort of the pro protagonist, eh, protagonist of your own virtual story. If you're imagining something, uh, whether consciously or unconsciously, and you know, it's possible the reason why Chihiro had such a not an easy time, but a successful time facing these challenges is because it ultimately was her vision. And, um, right. 
you know, it, it's not like if, if she did, if she really. Well, then there's a, <laughs> that's a whole thing in itself, because if yeah. you dig more into things spiritually, it's said that when we enter this life, our soul has already chosen the certain soul contracts that we have, the certain lessons we need to learn to get our soul to where our soul needs to grow where it needs to get at the end of our uh at the end of this life mm -hmm. so she sort of chose that entire path she chose that her parents became pigs and then she had to figure out how to get her parents back and rescue them and mm -hmm. it was all a part of her life journey about the lessons she needed to learn along the way to then get her to where she needed to be mm -hmm. yeah i think yeah, um, so it depends on what you believe, but yeah. if you want to pick this apart, like, it does wonder, fall to, into the spiritual principles that I know and have yeah. studied. If there had been any real serious threat, if she would have simply woken up, um, the, and there was that moment at the start of her journey where she was fading away, she was sort of becoming transparent, and then she ate some of the food from the spirit world so that she could retain her uh, physical form within that realm right um, that that was interesting i wonder what would have happened if she had simply refused to the she movie probably would have, would have ended and then yeah. we wouldn't be here yeah yeah exactly the movie would have been i don't know there would have been <laughs> so haku wasn't acting in her best interest interests when she gave when he gave her the red pill <laughs> No. Uh, maybe, possibly not. I mean, as far as she knew, he was acting in her best interest. And no, was, I mean, uh, essentially it was her best interest because she had certain lessons to learn on that journey. Yeah. That she, by choosing to eat the red pill, she learned a lot of things mm -hmm. from that journey. So sometimes we make choices that aren't easy choices, but they... And they seem bad, but they're actually in the highest good of our growth and can get us there quicker. Um, yeah. And so so there isn't really a bad or good. It's all about what gets us to uh, to our end journey of where our yeah. soul needs to that be. Was certainly one image that was reminiscent of Coco, her becoming invisible. <laughs> There's a... Feature of Coco, where the main character, you know, the longer he spends in the spirit realm, his skin becomes more and more transparent, and only mm. his bones are visible, sort of like the skeleton depictions that you see in mm. Day of the Dead um, illustrations, you know, the, the skeletons as they're depicted for that holiday. Uh, are how the people appear in this spirit realm in the in the Coco universe. Well, you know, we can almost choose to be more human, mm -hmm. or we can choose to follow more of what our soul wants. So that's the, almost the struggle of being human: is that we're souls in human bodies. Mm. So we can play more human, and then if we play more human, chances are our life is going to be a little more miserable. But if we if we choose to follow what our soul wants and see what our soul needs to grow and we're and we just sort of surrender to what we're given and see it as growth, hmm. it's it's an easier journey on this planet being human. It's when we get human and start to 
sort of fight the struggle that we may have mm. um, or fight where we are mm-hmm. and don't want to accept what's happening mm-hmm. and get really, really human with it. That's usually when we get a lot of resistance, but when we just let go and surrender and just follow this, our spiritual steps mm-hmm. that have been given to us in regards to growth, it, it makes the journey a little smoother. And that's a yeah. whole other topic because it can right. make it rougher, more rough, too. Yeah, be willing to perhaps sur- surrender to fate a little bit more, but allow it to balance as well to where we're not just totally tossed in in the winds of fate. Right, sort of so a, it's, it's yeah. about sort of balancing ourselves um, on a regular basis and trusting mm-hmm. um, that... W- we'll end up where we are supposed to. Um, I, I like how it's described in the original Star Wars where Obi-Wan's explaining the Force to Luke and Luke is, you know, questioning, you you know, you mean it controls our actions? And then Obi-Wan goes, well, partially, uh, it also obeys your commands. Right. Everything's really bigger picture. It's We sort of can get screwed up if we pay too much attention to the details of getting to where we need to go. Mm-hmm. And um, obsessing about the... So uh, with this movie, obsessing about all the materialistic things can actually get us further away from um, why we're really here. Hmm. Uh, last question. Uh why a bathhouse? Uh, I don't know. I haven't figured that out. I really, I'm super perplexed by this. Um, unless it really, uh, when you're at a bathhouse, that's where you go to cleanse. Um, and that's the way that they were able to put in all this spirituality with uh, releasing toxins and all the different, all the different sorts of people that go there. Um, it's weird that this 10-year-old... But here's the thing. Okay, so I... Right. From an American standpoint, oh my God, it's so weird. This little girl's at a bathhouse. However, when I've gone to the spas here in LA, I do find that uh, the, the Japanese people bring their children. So it's a very common thing to bring your child. Everyone gets naked. You wash your kid in the bath. You wash the kid in all the showers. It's like a family thing that people do. Is that in Japan? Is that you bring your families to the bathhouse for like a whole day? It's like a bonding thing with the mom and the child that you wash them and everything else. I've seen it. That's only that's the only reason I would know. So to us, it might seem really weird. Um, however, in America, bathhouses are slightly. Mm, almost like clubs, like pickup joints. It's a little, a little bit different yeah. depending on um, where in the city you're going. Um, the one that I've been to is the rules are strict. You, you can't get a, you, they're, it's very family oriented. You can't, yeah, that's not a problem. But <laughs> um, there are other ones that that are problematic. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we silly humans seem to always make a mess of things well yeah this has been a fun conversation talking about spirited away from 2001 Hayao Miyazaki uh, of Studio Ghibli and uh, 
yeah, we'll wrap this up. Episode 42 of the Thodcast. Uh, so, Kara, where can people listening find you? So I want to direct everyone to something new that I am doing. Um, I just started a fashion line for mostly for women now and children. And you can find me on Instagram at Imperfectly Perfect Creatures. And it's all about self-love, self-worth, and all through these little cartoon characters. And I just uh, launched the line, except I have a lot more to do. So Imperfectly Perfect Creatures. Excellent. Yeah, you can find the Thodcast on our social media, at Thodcast on Twitter and Instagram. You can listen to us on our feed at SoundCloud.com. On Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. You can find me, Philip, Philip Elke, on Twitter and Instagram at Philip Elke. And yeah, find uh, new episodes of the Thodcast posted hopefully weekly if I can get my stuff together. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's, uh, you know, this is just kind of a little passion project that I like to put together. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have uh, another episode for you in short order. In the meantime, you all have a happy Halloween and a magical day and a wonderful week. As always, warm hugs, everyone. Thank you so much, Kara. You're welcome. (laughs) Warm hugs. (laughs) All right. Sayonara, everyone. (laughs) 